Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Well, kid, how are you getting on? How's the old lad getting on? Hold your wish. Your man up the road is some header. A head like a well slapped arse. Get your lighters, five for the year, though. I hear. Would you be well? That fella. If there was work in the bed, he'd sleep on the floor, huh? I tell you, he's some dose. Pure, clean, rotten. Your man is some langer. We'll learn him. We'll learn him. You bleeding tick. Tis your man. He's bleeding massive. I'm a busy mom. Hello, hello, hello. What's the crack? Gonna start to. Cada will do big Jane of. How's it going? What's the story? Thank you very much for tuning in. And if you are a listener who's been here before, thank you so much for coming back. If you've hit subscribe or follow and whatever like that. Or if you're new and this is your first time, sure. Thank you so much for coming and sitting down and having a listener throwing the earphones in as you're out in your walk. Really, really appreciate it. So what is this podcast if it is your first time listening? So basically, um, I used to present a radio show and a podcast called The Weekend Buzz. It was on Q102 and I was very stuck for time when I was talking to people. You know, I get to chat to these amazing celebrities like um, Peter Scanavino from Law and Order SVU and Noah Reed from Shit's Creek. Um, you know, Richard Flood from Grey's Anatomy, some amazing people, Imelda May, you know, all these fabulously talented people. And the problem was I'd have a very small limit of time to put it on the radio because, you know, it maybe would be like 15 minutes of an interview, max really. So I started uploading them as podcasts and they've been just absolutely flying. So when I finished on the radio, I said, I want to do this, but I want to do it in a, with a new look, um, a new, a new name, um, and just kind of my own style. And I really like the, when I'm interviewing people, I've never written down notes. Um, I always just kind of wing it because I really like the idea of just chatting to somebody like a pal, letting the conversation flow. And I think that's the best way to do it instead of having a, you know, note, a question scribble down and you're like, crap, while they're talking, going, how do I get them to talk, go back to talk about this? So I like the idea of letting the conversation flow. And that is what I've been doing on all the episodes so far. And it's just been just great. It's, and it's amazing how the conversation flows. I start off every podcast just by asking how the person is best known. And it's just, yeah, it's been, it's sauntered into areas you don't even think about. You know, we had Matt Cardle on and Matt Cardle, obviously from the X Factor, he won and very, very talented. You would assume made loads and loads of money, but he opened up about how he was actually not pushed by the record label. They were more looking at the One Directions of the group, of the series. Um, and how that led him into a life of addiction and now he's out on the other side. Uh, I talked to McLean Burke from Fair City who opened up for the first time about, you know, his his breakdown that he had during the pandemic. And I think that's probably something we can all, you know, feel a little bit of. We can definitely resonate there. Um, uh, what else? We've just talked about, you know, Connor O'Donoghue was on from Wild Youth. 
And he was talking about his overactive mind, how it affects him as a musician, how he can never sit and enjoy the moment, I suppose. And we've had so like it's just every single episode has been different. Nicole O'Brien was on from Too Hot to Handle and she was talking about how, you know, hard it is to be taken seriously as a musician now because she appeared on a reality dating show. So it's just kind of it's been a roller coaster and it's been brilliant to hear everyone's stories and great to get your feedback to everyone who's messaged to tis yourself on Instagram or myself, of course. And thank you so much. Anyone who's left a review, all that kind of stuff. It's really, really appreciated. And I can guarantee you, I notice every single new listen. I love to see the countries that are being listened in. Um, the bigger podcasts probably don't notice those kind of things. I do. I absolutely love it. And every single time a new you get a surge of listens in an area or just in general. I just, I'm, I'm so excited. You know, I, the other day there was a surge in an hour and I was like, oh, whoa, I'm loving this. So, uh, so send this to all your friends. Uh, anyway, t- let's get started on today's episode. And if you're listening on the day that it comes out, today is May 8th and that is Darkness and Delight Day. So maybe some of you are listening to this as you're doing Darkness and Delight. And thank you so much uh, for getting up so early and for such an important cause uh, for Pieta House and for mental health and wherever you are listening around the world, because I know people have been doing it in Sydney, they're doing it in America and the UK and obviously here at home in Ireland. So everyone who has done that massive bull of us for you for getting up, I did not. So um, sorry, I didn't. I'm absolutely exhausted and I should have, but I just couldn't find the motivation in me this week. But I will definitely do, I'll do a walk and it'll be for darkness tonight. It just won't be at 4am like it normally, like normally I'm, I'm doing it in RD or I'm doing it in Phoenix Park. So the reason that this episode is airing on today um, is because the story and the message of this is phenomenal. So far we've had celebrities on talking all about their journey and this time I'm talking to the man behind the celebrity, the man who helps them get their jobs, who picks them up when they're down. Max Parker is his name. He has just launched the Matchstick Group, which is in the UK. It's a new talent management agency. Um, It's founded by Max, but also with some of the talent themselves. So Binky from Made in Chelsea and McFly's Danny Jones are invested uh, in the group. And also as an agency, they have mental well-being and mental health as part of their initiative. They are making sure that it is something that they look after in their agents. They donate some of their pro, uh, their profits to mental health charities. And that is all because of Max's own story. Just a trigger warning, there is some mentions of um, some mental health de- depression, some, some attempted suicide. But I think when you listen to the story and see how Max has turned what was a very, very dark time into a bright, shining career, you will just be absolutely astounded. And I think it gives hope to anybody who's just feeling really dark at the moment. You know, maybe it's debt. Maybe it's that you've lost a loved one. Maybe it's that, you know, you're going through a breakup. These are all things that we'll discuss in this podcast. But Max has shown that he's a survivor and that he's managed to get through it and come out on the other side and come out so well. And one of the main things is that helped him is that reaching out for help. And you will hear how he had to call somebody to really dig him out of a really tough time and how friends will always step up for you. So that is a really important message, especially today on Darkness and Delight Day. So look, I'm going to let Max take over here and I really hope you enjoy it. And 
just on a side note, a little celebrity pops in during my chat with Max. Not into my room, I can guarantee you that. No one is dr- jumping into my house here in Vipsara because I'm, uh, you know, I'm sitting here. Oh, they're actually, that's a lie. You will hear. Max gets a celebrity visitor calling in to say hello. You'll hear my dogs. They wanted to make themselves known and you know what, I was going to cut it out and then I said, you know what, let them be stars. So Max can have his celebrity friend and I'll have my little furry jewel. So have a listen, see who the celeb is and see can you spot the gals. This is Max Parker on Tis Yourself. Take me back to how you got into this line of duty here, like how you got into doing agency work. I'm guessing it's not just you know, walk up and pick a celebrity and say, yeah, look after you. Yeah, no, my, my parents were in the industry. My brother was in the industry. Uh, my, my dad was head of promotions, at, uh, which is now Columbia, but back then CBS. My mom worked at EMI and I think Simon Cow was her office boy. And then my brother wow. went for Simon way before Pop Idol, um, probably going back to 2001, 2002. So, from from that side, it was like this family thing of you know my whole family being in the entertainment industry, and I knew I wanted to to get into it. And then from there, it was this weird thing of I never wanted to get into management. I always wanted to be marketing in a record company. Um, and yeah, and then literally every time I tried working for a record company, it just wouldn't. I couldn't get in the door, so I ended up just falling back into management, and then it just became a bit of a success. And yeah, I suppose it's very hard to get into that music side of things, isn't it? The like the record labels, you have to be really lucky to get in when you're in your grade, but to get in is the big thing. Yeah, is it entertainment as a whole is seriously competitive, but music in particular is is just ridiculous. It's so hard to get into. I remember on two occasions with Sony, I'd been shortlisted from fifteen hundred applicants down to the final three. And that happened two times and I didn't make the, the grade to get the job. And it was, it was soul destroying. I think, you know, in 2012, 2013, I had 24 job interviews and didn't get one of them. And there's this thing as a young adult where I'm going, I'm not good enough as a person, let alone to be in this industry, but I'm not good enough. And that was really what, what sort of, I guess, gave me a bit of a chip on my shoulder because I know I'm thriving much more than the applicants that would have got the job over me all those years ago. Um, And what's hilarious is a few people that actually turned me down for roles have now come to me. Two of them have come to me for positions at Matchstick. (laughs) So it's actually this bizarre thing of like, I pick up the phone to them after getting the room. I'm like, you have no idea who I am, do you? Like, no, I'm like, I applied for Rock Nation in 2013 and I got declined and you, you interviewed me or, um, or someone else for lateral management. You know, it's this, this bizarre thing of, you know, yeah, it's, it's quite amazing sort of the development I've had in the industry since 2013. It's funny because a lot of people would have assumed because you've had the family links to the industry, that'd be easier for you to get into the Sony and the, the Rock Nations of the world. Yeah, I think look, the, the thing is, you, you hear this all the time with celebrities, kids, they're going to have it because their family's got loads of money or because they're connected. For me, it wasn't about using my family connections. It would have been really easy for me to speak to my brother who was at Sony for eight, nine years and go, can you put a word in? He didn't. You know, it was all about I worked two years unpaid Monday to Friday and I worked in retail Saturday and Sunday because I didn't want to use my, my family contacts and I didn't want to be associated with, with the Parker name because it was something where I actually wanted to do this off my own merit. 
Um, and I like to think I have, well, clearly I have, because I now set up a, a what I like to think is a successful management company in less than a month with now 28 clients and, you know, it's, it's, and we've just employed two members of staff. So, you know, the company's definitely, definitely performing. And that was, that's clearly because of the graft I put in all those years ago when I was an unpaid intern. Tell me about retail. Where did you work? Oh, fat face. I don't know if they ah. still goes. But it was, it's just, it was I see it in the air. How I know is because I see it in the airport in Gatwick whenever I go over. It's in Gatwick Airport. That's probably the only store in the UK that exists now. Yeah, it was in it was in Weybridge, which is now closed down. And um yeah, it was it was it was it was a hard time if I'm being honest. That that's that's what led to all my mental health issues, is I pushed myself way too hard and, and way too fast to be a success in the industry just to get my leg in the door and the issue i had with it was oh hold on mate thanks very much oh, danny jones has just brought me a coffee i'm renting oh, out coffee thanks just try it, so you like it well mate i'm in an interview but thanks oh sorry <laughs> hello. hello how are you doing <laughs> you know, looking after him you know <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's delicious. Yeah. Thanks very much. <laughs> There's no celebrities knocking in on me when I need coffees. Yeah, no. Well, look, this, this just shows the success of Matchstick. You know, the managing director gets brought tea or coffee by the talent. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm renting. Danny's got an office space uh, in the garden, which is uh, which I'm renting from him, which is nice. Oh, that's good. That's lovely, and it's so nice of him to pop in. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, the thing is, is like I said, you know, Danny's really supportive of, of the mental health aspects and working from the flat was really having its toll on my mental health because there's no differentiation between this is where I work and this is where I live. And that's where I, I it really started playing in my mind where I was going, Danny, I really need help. Here. I was like, you've got your ex studio in the garden. Like McFly, I've just got this amazing two story building. So I was like, now you've got this little, you know, shoot like soundproof room in the garden can i just rent that from you and just have a differentiation and like my mental health has been so much better because i have i commute into work have my set hours here i go back to my flat that's my sanctuary and it's it's nice so uh, so he's been a lifesaver and obviously the 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 coffees that get brought throughout the day is also very good (laughs) definitely i think everyone's struggling with the work and like i'm in my bedroom and you know um I find that I have to get up in the morning and do a commute. So I do an hour walk, you know, that's my commute. It's just walking around, walking around or whatever. But then in the same sense, I can't really see myself go back to five days in an office. Yes, it's a weird one because I I can't imagine going into an office life. But at the same time, I, I so vitally need it. Like I've proven, you know, not just me, but businesses out there that have thrived during this pandemic have have proven to themselves that they don't really need a massive HR team or they don't really need the amount of staff they do or the office building. Because if everyone's working from home, you don't really need this big HR department, like if you're working in a in a huge office and you don't really need an office space because if you're performing like, you know, the first month of, of Matchstick, we've absolutely smashed targets. I'm looking at it going, I don't need an office, but I think just for mental stability, not even for staff, just for me, just to have a base and a hub to, to work from, it's so important to have the differentiation. Otherwise, it just becomes groundhog there, this monotonous routine of you wake up, you end up going to work in your pajamas. And I think <laughs> the thing is, it's just, it's just not a healthy way of, of working. I've yet to go to work in my pajamas, but I have been working 
in my clothes in my bed. So okay. I've done that a couple of times. Yeah, see, the thing is, is it sounds nice, but it, it like after a while, it must be, it must take a toll going, you have no differentiation. And like I say, for me, I don't know, you know, for, for you or any of the listeners, it's so important to have that switch off. It's so important to know that you've actually put a graft in throughout the day. And when you come home and you can shut the computer down and you can sit in front of the telly, that's your time, that's your space. And it's that that safe hub of yours that, you know, you're protected from the world when you're in your home. And when you're doing Zoom meetings in your living room on emails and calls, it sort of takes away that safe space. Yeah. Oh, completely. And like you've mentioned, obviously it's about mental health and you mentioned that that kind of started when you were in retail. Was that just because you were working yourself ragged, you know, the Monday to Friday and then the weekend? That was exactly it. I think the thing is, is I felt like I had a point to prove because of my my brother and him being relatively very successful with, with Simon and my my uh, mum and dad doing it. So I felt like I had a point to prove because I was doing it by myself. And also, you know, I didn't want to rely on my family for money. You know, I was still paying rent to my mum, minimal rent, but I was paying rent to my mum. You know, I was paying my my train into town uh, was two hundred eighty pounds. You know, which which for a, you know nineteen year old is a huge amount of money just in a train fare. So the working in in, in retail, it really really took its toll. I became really unwell, actually, um, which has had a, a knock-on effect now where I suffered really bad glandular fever and tonsillitis because I just run myself so far into the ground. And two years working seven days a week with literally with no day off, it, it massively, massively took its toll mentally on me um, and physically. And the exhaustion level I, I would have, I would go to parties. Like, this is how embarrassing it was. I'd go to parties on, on Friday or Saturday to try and socialize and end up falling asleep on the sofa. And it was this weird thing where my mates would be like, just don't come. Yeah. And it's just and you're like, like, no, I need to see somebody who's not connected yeah, to it. work. And it, was this, it was this really horrible thing of like my friends going, we love you. We want to see you, but you're not present. And it's sort of pointless you being there. And I felt like I didn't want to miss out. But when I was there, I wasn't able to drink because I knew I, I had to be on my A game for, for work the next day. I took my internships really, really seriously. And I ended up just sitting on the sofa and ended up falling asleep just from pure exhaustion. So it was a, it was a really not dark. That's not the, it was, it was, it was definitely character building and it made me realize how resilient I am, but also how much I, I pushed myself way, way surpass breaking point. And that's where after that two years, when I eventually got offered a job and sort of had my foot in the door, that's where my mental health took, took a huge 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 toll um and it was actually weird because you would have thought once i got my weekends back i'd be more kind to myself where i wasn't i was like if i've worked assassins and i'm going to work for my employer and i'm going to work all weekend and prove that i can be the best and end up just yeah end up being a really really dark time and then yeah about seven years ago is when when I had to see a GP and I was sort of, I guess diagnosed isn't the right word, but it was, you know, you suffer with depression and, you know, you need to be on antidepressants. And that sort of, from that point is when it just, it was weird. The more successful I got, the, the worse my depression came. And it was weird because I've always chased money. I've always chased success. That was something I've always wanted. And that's why I've put my, my mind and body through torment with, with the hours I, I worked so it was weird. The more money I was earning and the more recognition I was getting, the harder it was to 
to balance my own emotions and balance breaking point to the point where, you know, as, as, as a 29 year old man, I'm not, you know, I'm not ashamed of it, but I'm not proud of it. I've had two breakdowns in, in, in my life. And that's something where, you know, it's no one else's fault, but my own. Um, and that, that shouldn't happen to a 29 year old man where you're having complete burnout and you're having to take a month off work because you're contemplating being alive or not. And that's, that's sort of the, the, the harshness of this industry. It's, it's absolutely br- brutal. And the reason I, I feel like I have done so well is because I've pushed myself so hard, but people shouldn't have to push themselves that hard to do this well. Does that, does that make sense? It's a double-edged sword. Yeah. It's like uh, within the journalism, let's say, the creative media industry, we're invited to 150 parties and you don't want to go. You want to go home or you want to go to the gym or whatever. You want to get a routine. But then you're told, well, if you don't go, you're going to miss this person. This person got offered a job because they met this person. And it's just like, I just want to have an evening. Yeah. It's so weird you say that because I I wouldn't say I was an alcoholic because I wasn't. And I'd be labeling myself. But my my relationship with alcohol wasn't healthy because of those reasons. And, you know, you know what it's like, you know, the parties you go to where, you know, it's very glamorous and it's probably the only part that's glamorous of this industry is yeah. parties. <laughs> you know, and you get, you know, the very attractive waiters or waitresses bringing you the, the alcohol and very rarely are there, there soft drinks on available. And you end up just drinking, drinking, drinking. You end up getting sort of used to it because you end up going out every night or two, three times a week and it's all free. And then because of that, my relationship with alcohol started to massively deteriorate. So when I hit my lowest point, which was July, August last year, it was all due to, to alcohol and and abusing that. So I've been three months sober. Yeah, three months sober this week. And, you know, it, it's something where I feel so much better because of it. And I don't I don't want to go back to booze because I saw where it took me. Um, and I can see where I'm going now off booze and how I'm not reliant on it and how I'm much clearer in my headspace. And I feel much more, I guess, woke, if that makes sense. I'm not groggy anymore. Mm. Um, and it's, you, you know, what it's like, it's, it's, it's these, these parties and, and, you know, it's hard to say no. And so when something's given to you, it's hard to go. I'm not, I'm not going to drink that drink. I'm not going to have a second or a third or a fourth. Oh, I'm going to have to get a taxi home. It's sort of that, that mindset of, you know, just constantly being saying yes to things. Yeah. And also you go there and you say, I'm not going to have a drink. And then some, everybody else around you was having a drink and, and you're like, right, I'll have one or whatever. But everyone and all your friends are like, you're so lucky. You're at this super free party, glamorous. And you're like, I'd rather be watching EastEnders. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know what? As a, as I'm the same nine-year-old bloke now that's done this for 10 years. I'm the same. As much as I think it's good to go out and network and meet new people and learn about new people, I'm also of the mindset of, I don't want to do this. I think, I think, you know, I see the same 30, 40, 50 year old people at these parties and like, oh, it's embarrassing now because I see you out everywhere. And I don't want to be that guy in 10 years time that has, hasn't had a family because he's like loved the free lifestyle for so long. That's, I'd rather, you know, have the chilled nights, go on a few date nights, watch, you know, bring a pizza in, you know, and that literally be, be in bed by 10.30. That for me is the dream now. Yeah. And like, then you go to the, the one party that you know is going to be brilliant, that your friends within the industry go to as well. So it's kind of an occasion as opposed to, I feel like I have to go. Yeah, definitely. I think that's it. I think, you know, when, when it feels 
more of an occasion you feel like you can get dressed dressed up for something there's that feel good factor if you put on a shirt and you actually are going out like you would with your mates on a weekend mm. that's different but it is so expected monday to friday if there's an event you just go because your client's going or you've been invited whereas i think now what i've realized is self-respect is being able to say no and actually not feel guilty for saying no and it's not just like i say a waitress, a waiter going, do you want a drink? And going, yes, because it's free. Mm. It's that thing of actually taking a step back and going, I respect myself. I've been, you know, I haven't drunk booze for three months. I'm not going to have this because it's on offer. And it's in some fancy event, you know, dressed beautifully with things hanging out of it and all sorts. <laughs> uh, so like, it, it's a thing that I suppose everyone in the, in, in our industry would probably struggle with but no one actually talks about it like we all get the burnout we all get the you know depressive side or maybe not depression but you know depressive thoughts what was it for you that you actually went to a gp because like not to generalize but men are it's harder for them to actually open up and say there's something wrong here yeah what it was is i knew something wasn't right during the intern days i knew there was just something in my head that was just like you're you're not fully with it and i was with it with work but but I was never in the moments and I was abusive towards myself. I wouldn't eat breakfast or lunch because I was trying to save money. And I was so adamant not to ask my parents for financial help where not eating because I didn't want to spend money because like I said, I had those extortionate train fare fees and I was trying to save money as well as pay my way through, through London life, which as we all know is bloody expensive. So it's this thing of, I knew something wasn't right. And I, I got really lucky. My, my first proper job, I had massive success with a comedian and the comedian was doing, I think we did 92 club appearances in 11 months. We did two sold out tours, TV shows, book deals, merchandise. And I was 21 years old and I was like, for a first signing, this is, this is massive. And where it was, I remember I, was driving back from Wakefield. I dropped my my client at the time off um, at, at his, his apartment and I'm driving back. And then suddenly this thing hit me where I just burst into tears. And I remember it was about three in the morning and I pulled over on the, on the A3 and I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And it was this, this weird thing of, I wasn't crying because of, of one thing. It was just this, you know what I think it was is now I can look back on it. I'd, at that point, I'd reached success. I'd done my, my two years of interning. I'd done a year's worth of work in, in between that where I got made redundant. I went back to interning. Then I got another job. And then my first signing was really, really hot property where everyone wanted access to him. And once I'd experienced that, once I'd experienced the taste of actually earning decent money and getting recognition and only being 21 years old and going, God, if this is my career, I'm going to have a really successful career. And it was just this thing of, like I say, I was absolutely fine until I was in the car by myself. And like I said, I pulled over and I just sobbed. And I'll never forget that I still remember it when, where it is on the A3. And I sat there for, for, for 10 minutes, just uncontrollably crying. And I just, you know, wiped the tears, drove home, went to sleep. And then that was that. But that's when I knew that there was a serious problem that was going to occur. And I probably should have addressed it then and there. And I didn't. I just kept pushing. But it was after that is when I started drinking. Because I never, I up until that point, I'd never really drunk. And then it was there, yeah, when I was, it got to the point where it was really bad. I'd drink in the office. I'd go to the pub and obsessively drink. 
um, I was quite lucky in the sense where my I worked with my girlfriend at the time. So it meant that I knew that I could abuse the situation of she would end up having to drive home. It would actually ruin her evenings because yeah. instead of being a, a responsible couple of taking turns, I'd be like, I'll drive home and then I'll get paralytic and she would have to drive. And then it would ruin her evening because she couldn't drink. And it just, it wasn't, it wasn't good. And it's something that I still address now. I still get the urge to have, have a drink and, but I know that the path I'm on now is good. My mental health is amazing. And ultimately I'm, I have to be in control of myself. I can't, if I slip now, it's no one else's fault. I'm self-employed. I've got 28 people that believe in me in the vision for this company. And, you know, as much as entertainment is hard, I have to, you know, like I say, respect myself enough where I can say no and go, I'm not going to, have a drink. I'm going to go for a walk today. I'm not going to worry about emailing on a Sunday because it's a Sunday. It's my time. Um, and that's sort of the, the mindset I'm at at the moment. So what was it then? If it wasn't the A3 incident, what was it that kind of drove you and went, Jesus, Max, sort your, sort this out? Yeah. It, there, was, there was a number of things. I think that it was the, the the worst part. So that incident was early 2014, that the A3 incident. But then I go forward to August 2017, and that's when I hit my first burnout to the point where it was the first time I'd experienced suicidal thoughts. It was the first time where I didn't want to be alive and, and I didn't feel like I had worth. It was the first time where I was like, as God, how old was I then? I must have been... 25 um you know i'm going you know what do i have to show for it? i've worked all these hours i don't have a property you know i don't have you know i have money in the bank but it's not enough money to have a sustainable life in london because i've had this money anywhere outside of the m25 i could have bought somewhere by now and it was all these things of being a male and to be honest with you it was probably the, the pressure of wanting a family, not wanting family then, but going, when I do have a family, I want yeah. to be able to support them. Um, and then, yeah, it was, it was August, uh, 2017 and I hit burnout and I was just in a, in a, a really, really bad place. Um, and I wasn't with it. I was completely attached from my mind. It was, it was just a bizarre time. So I took the, the month off work then, and I went traveling, went to Italy. Uh, I ended up taking my girlfriend at the time to, to Boston and we traveled around New York. And that, that was amazing. That was, you know, cause my relationship with her was, was pretty much over. And it was sort of this last chance to sort of sort myself out. And I did. And for about two years, I was fine. And then lockdown hit. And then when lockdown hit, that's when everything catapulted again. And where the, the relationship with booze became so bad. Um, probably the worst it had ever been to, you know, I'm talking a bottle of neat gin a day or a bottle of whiskey a day. And when I say a day, I'm not talking from nine until six. I'm talking from about three till eight. You know, it was, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't good. And then that's when it catapulted, not being able to go out and feeling the, the issue with mental health is you feel trapped in your mind. So when you're trapped in your house and trapped in your mind, there is literally no escape. And that, 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 was, that was a really hard part for me to sort of come to terms with. And I think that so people listen to this, there's going to be so many people who completely get that. Because, yeah, like every single person has felt this mentally this last year. Some are going to be much more than others. Some of people are going to be like, I have really shitty days and I allow myself to shitty day. And then the next day I say, right, let's get up and get at it. Other people just can't 
they can't do that because yeah. as you said they're trapped in here and then not having a routine anymore has broken them there. Yeah, it's it's really it's tough. Like, thankfully, we're coming to the end of it. And I was really lucky. I had the support of the likes of people like Danny. But, um, you know, if I didn't have that support, I wouldn't be here now because I was, you know, I'd, I'd failed suicide on three times. And I got to the point where I was so, so unhappy and it didn't feel like there was any way out. And then I lost my, 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 one of my closest friends, uh, in August. And yeah, it just, it was, it was a really bad time. And like I said, I'm so grateful for the infrastructure of friends that I have because like people like Danny and Binky Felstead and Vogue Williams, who obviously you'll know from, from, from being Irish, you know, they, they got me out of really, really bad places like Vogue. I gave a call at, at 11.30 in the evening and I was like, Vogue, I can't afford my mortgage. And no one knows this, by the way. So, so this is the first year. And I don't know, God, Vogue will probably hate me. And I called her at 11 and I was like, I can't afford my mortgage. I've hit the overdraft. I've hit my overdraft limit and I don't know what to do. And, um, and she wired me money the next day and paid off all my debt. Wow. That's amazing. And would she have known or would any of your friends have known how bad things were? Were you putting on a front making out everything yeah. was okay? Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was, it was bad. It was really, really bad. Um, yeah, it was. It wasn't. It wasn't good. You know, the thing is, is I was managing a, a team of of ten, um, and it wasn't. It wasn't good at all. And I was putting on this this front of you know I've always been a bit of a cheeky chappy. It's been slightly inappropriate and always pushed the mark ever so slightly. But yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't good. Um, and I did put this front on that you know, I was the same, whereas actually I was drinking so much booze and it wasn't, it wasn't good at all. And so you went and got help, I assume then, because obviously where you are now is much different to where you were back a year ago. Yeah. So it was, it was just, it was this, I just, I just wasn't with it then, you know, I just mentally, I completely checked out and then I just got worse and worse and worse and it it just, it wasn't good. So what, what was the turnaround? What was the what was the thing that sparked something for you? Just completely hitting rock bottom. Like the thing is, there was no going back. You know, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. black and white. You know, when I, when I refer back to this, I, I do get upset because it's like a totally different bloke. But it was kill myself and completely be off the earth. And that, you know, that was that was it. Or it was try and make a change. And I did. the thing is, I didn't want to make a change. I really, really didn't. I was, I completely checked out. You know, I really, you know, in, in July, August, I really didn't want to be alive. And that, that was the thing. And that's the thing I still come to terms with now was the, the mindset of this is agony. And every day I'm here is a day that, you know, I have to suffer. My God, to think, to think like that. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. And like, obviously I know that you are survived and you're here and everything like that, but to know that that was a thought that you had in your head and people around you probably had no idea how bad they were and, and if it, God forbid you'd gone through it, they would have been left devastated. Yeah, it was it was tough. It was uh, it was really, really tough. And the thing is, like I say, no one really knew. Like no one I'd always only a handful of people knew at the time that I suffered mental health issues. And I kept it really, really insular. I didn't want to tell I told people I had to tell. I told my employers my uh my ex-girlfriend that i worked with knew my parents didn't know and that was it there was and then my my best mate knew and that was it there was less than five people that knew that i was was suffering um and then obviously loads of people end up having to 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 find out uh which is annoying because i really didn't want them to 
But that was it. I, like I said, I checked out. If it wasn't for, for Danny, Binky and Vogue, I wouldn't be here. Like I say, you know, without Vogue, I would have lost everything. Um, and then Vogue, you know, paid off all, all my debts. And that, that, that for me felt like a huge U-turn. Because I remember I felt I was, I was in so much debt that by the time I'd left my employer, and I had this vision to set up Matchstick. I'd spent so much money on random things that were out of my control. And I was like, I could lose my flat. And when I called the bank and they wouldn't give me uh, an over extended overdraft limit. And I was like, I've never been in debt. I've, you know, I've never, I'm a pre premier banker. You know, I earned a good salary. So I had the top card at Barclays that you could get. And I was like, you know, they're all, you're unemployed. And that's when it got really bad. Um, and yeah, and when Vogue wired me that money and it cleared my debt, that's when for me it was this clean slate. It was just like, you know, I looked at the debts as as I guess, you know, the the mental health issue. And I was like, okay, that's been white clean. And then at that time, Danny and Binky then stepped in and saw how severe my mental health was. But they then said, you know, we want to, you know, get behind you and little dog. We want to get. Sorry, behind. I had to mute it because they're barking at the postman. What dogs have you got? Uh, two cockapoos. Ah, oh, I used to have a cockapoo. Yeah, like, they're great, but they're brats. Yeah, as, as yeah, you can hear. Tell me about <laughs> yeah, uh, and that was it. And then Danny and Binks, um, you know, were, were massive, massive saviors for that. Well, isn't it? It's amazing how once you let people in, they're like, "How can I help? What can I do?" Like, let's get, I'm going to help you turn around. And that's the problem a lot of people have is they don't let anybody in. Well, like I said, I, I, I sort of, I was forced to, to be honest. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really want people being let in. Um, but people found out about my mental health and then they were the ones that were then giving me a call, checking in on me to see if I was okay. And that's sort of when I sort of had to reach out for the help. And the good thing is, you know, I, I look back then it's a completely different person, you know, and that's, what's been quite remarkable about, about this journey is I've, um, you know, I, I've, I've literally hit rock bottom. And within that time, I've managed to grow a business now to 28 clients. And I've managed to get 28 people to believe in me and the vision of the company. The company's doing really well where we've got, you know, two full-time members of staff. And, you know, the company only launched 29 days ago. So the thing is, I mean, it sounds really cliche and I don't want to be that guy, but it's, it's sort of, if I can do it, anyone can, because really I, I had completely checked out to the point where, you know, I got paralytic and I climbed to the top of my balcony and I prepared to, to jump. That's how like checked out I, I completely was with this. So the fact that I'm here now and, you know, the company's done as well as it has is credit to all the clients that, that source thing in me and believed in me when, when I didn't believe in myself. That to me just speaks volumes to anyone who's listening and who has, you know, is this pandemic is really hurting them and they're thinking the same thoughts that you did and life is better off without me and all this. But how quickly a good thing can happen and change mm. your life. You look at this, you this time last year, you were a different person. Yeah. It's so I'm trying to find a photo for you without my phone pinging because I put it on flight mode. But I had, uh, I had, I'd grown my hair for years and years and years. I was known for having long hair and I literally just shaved it all off. That, that's when my mental health started to take a huge turn and I, I shaved. And yeah, you can see it here. Like it's just a totally different guy. And you can see that the slash on my forehead where where it was just, it was a ridiculous thing. I got 
paralytic. I climbed to my balcony and I slipped. And instead of just falling, I tried, because it was, wasn't on my terms, I grabbed the wall because I wanted to not fall and I ended up headbutting <laughs> the wall. So you see me here with a gash in my head. Oh my God, you look like but, a completely different person. Yeah, but, that, but that, that's, that's where, you know, that, that's when the, the mental health was at, at its worst. You know, like I said, my... I grew this ridiculous beard. My, my shaved my hair off, which was down here. And I had this gash in, in my forehead. Um, and that's, that's when I can look back and laugh and I shouldn't, but it was just such a, a bizarre time. Um, that, that, yeah, it was, um, I, I just, I'm so happy to be out of it, to be honest. And to be able to have set up this company that's given you motivation, it's given you stuff to do. It's keeping your mind busy. When, how did Matchstick then kind of, come out of that were you planning all this in the midst of all this madness in your head or you know what no like it always been an ambition of mine to set a, a, an agency up i think look the thing is i think for men and women there's different pressures i think for women it's you need families before specific a specific age i think for yeah. men you need to be able to provide for your family and i think they're the two strains that society force on on people and in my head it was going if i don't set up an agency now i I won't set up an agency. If I don't set up an agency before I'm 30, I won't set up an agency at all. And uh, my, my, my closest friend uh, passed away early August and he'd always said that I should set up my own. And I'd always sort of been like, obviously he's a hype man. He's my, he's my mate, you know, he's, he's going to say that. And then after Joe passed away, it was this, this realization of, actually I've got nothing to lose now. And in my head, it was going, if matchstick flops, it flops. It was this thing of, I've lost my mate. I don't want to be alive and I've got nothing to lose now. You know, and that, that, that was, was it. And it was this, this thing of, I might as well just give it a go. And that's, that's what I did. And then, you know, it was this, the realization for me when it got tough was, when I thought I would lose my property, because that's the thing that I'd worked so hard to achieve. Mm. But Matchstick, you know, I was like, if it's a success, it's a success. And if it's not, you know, then I'll get a job, you know, in retail somewhere again. And providing I can pay my mortgage, I'm, I'm prepared to, to leave the industry. And then within a few months, it just went boom and you know, Martin McCutcheon signed, Max George from The Wanted, Ollie Locke had got investment from Danny Jones and Binky Felstead. We ended up getting some phenomenal content creators around the world that joined, you know, so it ended up taking off much quicker than I could have anticipated. And then that gave me this new lease of life of actually I've got a purpose now. And I think the, the issue I had before suffering with mental health and for people that suffer mental health, maybe this is good guidance for them, maybe it isn't. But being an employee earning a really good wage wasn't enough for me because I didn't feel like I had ownership in anything. I just felt like I was a cog in the system. And now I've got a company that I don't need to answer to anyone and I can actually create something. And I know the industry is looking at leading to amazing opportunities like this interview. It's this weird thing where I feel so much more in control of my life, even though it's so much more pressure if that makes sense. And I feel this is, this is the happiest I've, I've felt since working in entertainment because I'm beholden to nobody and I can actually create something that I want to create now. And also if you're having a crack day, you don't feel the fear of ringing your boss and going, how do I explain that I can't get out of bed today or that I 
I want to take a half day because I'm just I'm not feeling it. You just go, okay, I just sign off and you know out of office on my email. Yeah, I, I wish I wish it was that simple. With 28 clients, it's definitely not that simple. But yeah, look, it, it, totally. It's that thing of on Friday, I sort of had enough. And I was like, I hit four o'clock and I was like, you know what? We've worked bloody hard this week. Let's just leave. And the fact I can do things like that is nice. And it, it's just it's just a nicer way. And I think also I feel like I've got purpose in life now. I feel, you know, that this, this is something I was meant to do. And like I say, there's nothing wrong with being a cog in a machine. It's, 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 you know, if it's supports you, your family, or if you, if, if it's something you're passionate about, if it supports your, your way of life, then great. For me, it, that wasn't enough. And it sounds ridiculous because when you suffer mental health, you want to sort of get rid of all the strain and pressures. And now I've got all the strain and pressure. I'm thriving under it because I know that if I have a relapse and I go back on booze, or if I have a relapse in my mental state, this all comes to an end. And that's sort of where I'm thriving under that pressure of, I know I need to better myself and to better myself. I need to eat healthy, drink lots of water, exercise, have sleep, And that's why I think it's much more exciting for me now because I'm going, for me to be a massive success here, I have to look after myself here. And when you work for someone, it doesn't really work like that. It's like the more hours you put in for someone else, the more return they get, which then gives you sort of a value as an employee. Whereas now it's a flip reverse for me. And also your clients know that they can come to you with anything now because of the fact that like, you know yourself, Often the celebrity is, you know, pushed to limits they don't want to do. Well, you have to go to that party. Well, you have to do this. I don't care if you've got a child at home or if you're not feeling great or whatever. Go put on a nice dress, take a few photos and then leave. And you, they can say to you, look, Max, it's not happening. I'm really burned out. And you can say, let's work around that then. Yeah, you know what? That that's I think that's how and why for any agents listening to this, I think you could take notes. It's just about being honest and showing vulnerability. And I think a lot of agents oversell and underperform. When I was pitching to every single client in the first five minutes, I would go just to make you aware I'm coming out of the back of something quite severe where my mental health hit rock bottom. Um, and it's not a risk for you because I know what I can achieve and I know how good I am at my job, but I just feel the need to tell you that I do suffer with mental health. And the reason I left my past employer is because I'd I'd hit rock bottom and this was sort of my last chance saloon, so to speak, to, to make something of my life. And every single client respected it and they opened up to me about their own individual struggles. And it created this amazing thing of, instead of it being a pitch meeting, it was sort of going, what's your trigger? What makes you tick? You know, what, what is it? Where does it stem from? Is it depression? Is it anxiety? How long have you suffered with it? And end up becoming this more inclusive conversation about well-being and how we can support each other rather than a, what's, what's your career plan? How much money do you want to make? And it was this much more seamless way of, of doing it. And it felt much more authentic. And that's how, you know, the company's grown so quickly is I haven't lied. I've been, probably too honest with people to the point I shouldn't be. Um, and, you know, I remember telling my dad and my dad was really successful in business and he was going, do not tell people about your mental health. You're a manager. You're meant to show stability. You're meant to be a rock and the brains to someone's career. 
And it really, and my dad, it came from good intention. He wasn't doing it to be, to be mean. He was just, he was trying to protect me and, and watch the company grow. And my mindset to it was, dad, you're, you're 70 years old now. It's like the industry's changed. I was like, people want to hear this. They want to know that there's not just a machine there. There's a person behind that keyboard or behind the phone call that's managing their career that can relate and is relatable. And it, when you, like I say, it, it sort of works. It was this thing of, I didn't go out to win business based on my mental health, but just the complete transparency of where I'm at in life. And to be honest, like I say, you know, it's, it was the likes of Vogue, Binky and Danny that gave me that, that reassurance that what I was doing was right. But what gave me that extra kick was 70% of my roster I've never met in person. And the fact that they saw something in me when I didn't see something in myself, we're going back months and months and months was this real thing of, I was so, so lucky because most people will never have that. And that's where I feel so incredibly humbled by, you know, Lily Sabri in Dubai or Danae Mercer in Dubai, or I don't know, Jack Knightley in, in, in Exeter, you know, that have never met me, but they just believed in the vision. And when I say believed in the vision, these are people that knew that I suffered mental health at the time, my company didn't have a logo or a website. I refused to tell them the roster because I didn't want to tell the roster until the company had launched. So literally, they're just believing in me and this, this wacky idea that I'm going to have a company called Matchstick. And they don't know the roster. They don't know my credentials. And they're just taking me on face value. And that's sort of when I was like, this is, this is actually kind of remarkable that the fundamentals to human life of just taking someone on face value is completely here. They're not signing to this mammoth agency like YMU or Gleam or Insanity that, you know, can, that has years and years of experience and they know what they're signing up to. They're signing up to some guy that says he's got mental health issues that hasn't got a website <laughs> refusing to talk about his roster. And it sort of made me realize that there are good in people. And that's sort of what, what, gave me so much confidence. That's why I say every day is me bettering myself because I can't let these people down. And I feel like if I was to have that, even though it's one beer, if I was to have that one beer, it's that guilt of, of feeling people believed in me when I didn't believe in myself and I can't let them down now. So I'm not going to have that drink. I'm not going to burn myself out. I'm not going to take, you know, that, that week off at the moment. It's, um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's been, been an incredible roller coaster. And your friend, Joe, who passed away, would, what would you think he'd think of this now, no, considering he was such a kind of supporter, a cheerleader for you? I don't know. I did a, there's a dedication for him on my Instagram and, and my website. I, I, I don't know. I reckon he would probably say I've overdone it with, with, the, with the support of him. Of like, of like, buddy, why am I on your bloody website? You know, he'd, he'd probably won't be like that because Joe wasn't that type of guy. He, he was very successful, but he didn't like the recognition. He was just a really nice, humble bloke that, that everyone loved. So he'll probably, you know, be giving me a bit of stick and banter that I, you know, give like got his image on, on my website. And I think, I think he'll be proud. I spoke to his sister. I broke down the last time I cried was on the phone to her. And it was about two weeks before the company launched. And I was going, do you reckon Joe would be proud? And what she said, just, just, um, yeah, it just, it massively, massively threw me, you know? And, uh, yeah, I, I, God knows what he'd be thinking. I've no idea because Joe was the type of character where he was like, he was very supportive, but he was very, very brutal. And I, that's what I loved about him so much. He was one of those friends that you needed in your life because you knew if I was being, you know, 
a bit outrageous, Joe would be the first to put me back in my place. We all need those people. We don't need the yes people who are like, no, you're brilliant. You're brilliant all the time. You need the bit of that's brilliant. But come here. What's this about? (laughs) I love it. I remember my first my first music video that I produced. I released it and he just sent me a thing going, great music video, buddy. Completely pointless, but it's brilliant. And I just remember (laughs) the thing of like, it was just such, it was such a Joe message. Um, But yeah, I don't know what he would be thinking. And that's that's, that's sort of why I get, obviously it's, it's still very raw to me. And that's sort of where I struggle because I would love to know what he would be thinking and what he would say. And the fact that I can't even comprehend what his thought process is. I know, I know he'd be proud because I'm proud of, of what the company's achieved in such a short period of time. I, I don't know. And also it's gutting because during, during June, July last year would have an hour, two hour long conversations about him getting into management and, 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 you know, potentially doing something together one day. So it's this weird thing of, I really want to do this with him so it's, it's, it's bizarre. I don't, I don't know, but I, I know, I know he'd be proud. I know he'd be giving me a lot of stick for having his image on my website. <laughs> and where are you going to lead the company now? What's the big plan? Do you, do you have one or are you kind of going day by day or what is the goals? You know what? I, I, I just want it to be the biggest and I want it to be the best. I think that the entertainment industry breeds mental health issues and I'm, I'm living proof of that. And loads of celebrities, you know, are living proof of that tabloids don't help, paps don't help, social media doesn't help. So I feel that I want to make a positive change. I'm the only management company in the UK that is donating a percentage of profits to uh, to Joe's charity, actually, a mental health charity every year. You know, and I think considering entertainment does breed so many issues, I think management companies should be doing more to protect its staff. I think they should be doing more to, to help funds um, charities, uh, mental health charities. And I think, you know, management companies should be doing more to protect its its talent. So I'm just taking each day as it comes. I want to be the biggest. I want to be the best. I've got a massive, you know, chip on my shoulder with, with you know, with the entertainment industry. And I just, I just want to go out there and, you know, I just, I just want to make a positive change. Obviously I want to earn loads of money, but I want to do it in a way that is authentic and, and it isn't selling my soul or, or, or putting, you know, the detriment of a client or staff member's well-being at the forefront so I can line my pockets. That's something that I really don't want to do. Um, and that's where, you know, the, the declaration of launching the agency on the 1st of March, which was self-injury self um, awareness day, was so important for me because that was the declaration. And then donating 2% of annual profits in perpetuity, to, to mental health charities once again was, was a declaration of this is what you know our intentions are so i don't know i just i just want to keep growing it i want to grow the team i want to have fun along the way um and that's really it I, yeah I, I just want it to be to be fun and if any irish uh creators or whatever are listening are you taking on clients can they pitch to you what yes i am desperate for an irish division so if there are any irish talent looking 
Absolutely. I managed Vogue. You know, I was Vogue's first UK manager. I got Vogue doing loads. So I, I'm, I know the Irish market really, really well from, from the three years I had Vogue. I've just signed Grace Mongi, Faces by Graces in, in Ireland. So she's my first Irish talent at Matchstick. So it's definitely an area I want. I think, you know, for any agents in Ireland listening, I don't think you do a good job for your talent. And I'm here now to, to sort of take over because there's so many Irish talent that are completely mismanaged. I am going to get brutalized by all them. The agents are going to be like, what the hell, Nicola? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, I th- it's, it's true. You know, I speak to any Irish talent and they all say the same thing. The, the, the agents in Ireland don't seem to know what they're doing. And it's this hilarious story. I've, I've heard so many horror stories and I've managed loads of talent in Ireland. And I'm going, how have you been managed like that? It's actually quite shocking. There's a, there's a few actually that are very, very good that I know. But the majority of them, I'll call out on the podcast and say, I don't think you're doing a good job. Well, there you go. If you're Irish talent and you're not being managed right, Max is calling. He's coming calling for you. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Yeah, hopefully I get some talent off the back of this. Well, listen, I can't believe how long I've kept you. I'm very sorry, but it's been been really refreshing just speaking to you. Like I said, it's this bizarre thing of... You know, I never thought I'd be interviewed and anyone would actually care about, about you know, me or, or the story. And I don't want to make this about me. You know, it's, it's all about trying to make Matchstick the biggest and also try and make a difference. And I think the thing I want to, you know, finish on is where, where we are very, very different as an agency is our reward scheme. I think what I've realized, and as you all know, you know, everyone's made a name for themselves in this industry off the back of someone else's support. And that's where Joe meant a lot to so many because he'd built people's careers and didn't ask for anything back. And loyalty in this industry is hard to come by. And if you gain it and you have it, it's something you need to cherish. So what we're doing is we've put um, basically a referral scheme in place. Whereas if you come on board and you're a a signed client to the company and you refer someone, you get discretionary bonuses based on the performance of your referral, because I think loyalty should be rewarded and that's the thing where it's really important for me that, you know, there are ancillary areas of income to that celebrity or to that influencer that not only do I make the money as their manager, but they're being given ancillary income from bonuses from talent that they're referring. And that's the thing where we're the only management company in the world to do that. That's amazing for them because they are obviously are like, yes, they're getting extra money, but also you know it could be a friend that they are like bringing on board and they're like okay we're going to be able to work in a way together and also i get money out of it (laughs) yeah exactly you know what i don't want to go into i I won't say who it is out of respect but there's someone that's already made over ten thousand pounds from from the referrals just because they've given me so many clients and the thing is for me is to go back to the point of not lining my pockets this isn't about greed this is for me wanting to to, to share and, and basically be my, my mantra to life now is be more Joe. And, you know, Joe was this, this guy where he would do anything for anyone. And he never expected anything in exchange. And that's sort of where I want this. I want if, if, if someone's helping build my business, they should be fully rewarded for that. I'll remember that now, Max, when I send 27 Irish uh, influencers to you. If you do that, you can, you can, you know, you'll get a nice big payday. You see, now what's happening is I'm not going to do any work today. I'm just going to be on Instagram to like, come here to know who'd be lovely for you. <laughs> yeah, honestly, well, look, if you do it, you know, you can uh, you can buy your cockapoo some very good dog food. I can buy them a muzzle to get them to stop barking. That <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it, or, or a bone. <laughs> yeah, whichever I can. Oh, listen, Max, it's been amazing to chat to you. And sorry, Danny, inter- inter- 
disrupted. Literally, for some reason, he was like desperate to get, I think he wanted to say something to you. And I'm like, no, just bugger off. What are you doing? It's all good. I'm never going to complain that Danny from McFly wants to come in and say hello. I promise you that. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Well, next time we'll get him on the interview. Defo, listen, Max, you're an absolute star. Thank you so much for an hour of your time. Perfect. Brilliant. Let's speak soon. Thanks so much. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. It's what a man. That's like all I got off the call with Max. We were on Zoom for, you know, an hour and it was uh, mind blowing really, to be honest. And it was really refreshing to hear because we both work in an industry where it's all about appearances. It's all about, you know, looking good, claiming to look good, claiming to feel good. Um, You know, they go to the right party, meet the right people. And there's definitely, uh, we've seen throughout celebrities and throughout different people that you know there are mental health issues and people have found this tough this living up to an appearance and keeping up appearances very very hard and to have an agent and a manager who is there for the people to go, be able to go to and go listen I'm not feeling great I'm not able to do this it's it's astounding it's absolutely incredible and I know that the celebrities involved must be glad that they have a manager who looks after them like that I know my own job I would love if there was someone that I knew that I could trust to go to who'd been through something that I was experiencing and feeling that you could trust them and that you know that they understand and as you heard there if any celebrities Irish celebrities um influencers and whatever are looking to get some UK management there you go. I can put you in chat in touch with Max. Just drop me a message and I'll send you on the details and that. And of course, you can follow Matchstick on Instagram and on you can check out their website, which is matchstickgroup.co. So go and have a look at that and you can find all about it. And of course, amazing to have Danny Jones drop in. Danny, this is me putting the call out. You're next up. You need to come on the podcast. I love McFly. Love them. So you have to come on. Verge here now. You've already been practically on it, so you might as well sit down for the arrow with me. If you're a new listener and this is your first episode, do scroll back. I hope I have some episodes here that you'll enjoy. There are about 10 there, so just there's some that are only 20 minutes, there's some that are 45, there's some a little bit longer. Go back and have a wee listen, and I really will. I think I'll, I think you'll enjoy them. I, I enjoy listening back to them, and except for my own voice, you know, I just kind of go, here we go, but I enjoy listening to the celebrity side of it. And sure, look, if you keep getting the listens, I might get the Danny Jones. <laughs> I have to say thanks so much to Max for being so open, being so honest, being so incredibly sound about everything. And I will definitely recommend him to any celebrities who are looking out there to get a new UK manager. All right, guys, I'm off. I'm away. It's the weekend. I'm going to go and go for, uh, you know, the first walk of 27 of today. Um, Whoever's getting their hair done next week, who's got their appointments for pennies, Go on, good luck to you. Buy me some knickers and some socks and send me them in the post. I just can't wait to go and get my hypers done. We're opening up. The recovery is real, lads. We're getting there. So stay safe and look after yourselves. And anyone who did Darkness Delight today, you're a fair sound. All right, go on. Good luck. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Keep her lit. Yeah, bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-b